success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. And we have another amazing guest for you. We have Judith Weigel, the amicable divorce expert with her own podcast of the same name and a divorce mediator and coach with her company, Divorce Resource Incorporated. Welcome, Judith. It's so great to have you here on the She's Invincible podcast. It's so great to be here because you are so incredibly infectious that my energy just goes up 20-fold when I'm Oh my gosh, we you. need to have a five-minute call, right? Every day. Every day, because <laughs> um, you're just too good, too much fun, and you're you too inspiring. Are, you are too kind. You are too kind. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm receiving that. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you share with our listeners today. I mean, amicable divorce, is there even such a thing? It is not an oxymoron. (laughs) I was just going to say that. Oh my gosh, so I cannot wait to hear all about this. But let's just get started. Let's do this. Let's tell our listeners, how in the world did you get where you are today? And what makes you invincible? I'm going to start with the second part. I think what makes me invincible is my ability to reinvent myself and my optimistic attitude. Now, one, you can't be optimistic, I think, every second of the day. I think the most optimistic people do have their downtime. My downtime is spent hitting the pastry in the freezer of my office where all pastry is kept, never at the home, only at the office because I'm good to go when I'm home. But I think for, for me and for everybody, the thing that makes us all invincible is our ability to reinvent ourselves when opportunity knocks. And I look at challenges as opportunity knocking at my door. Sometimes we're going on our way, we're living our life, we think everything is fine and something major happens. So Tony Robbins has a quote. I saw him on a Netflix special and he said, life happens for you, not to you. Now, I don't know if he invented that or not, but that really struck me. And I said, yes, that's how you use challenges. There is a logic and a reason for challenges. It's not to hurt you. It's not to upset you. It's not to punish you. It's to say, hey, it's time to grow. It's time to move forward. This isn't going to be easy. Having a child isn't easy, right? Nine months of it's not all fun and games. Yeah. Followed by a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) 
so true, but it's bliss. And then it goes back and forth. So yes, I, I think the ability to be able to reinvent and not let life control you, you have to control your own life. I love what you're saying here. And we're going to bring this back up uh, as we get towards the end of this conversation. But wow, have you set the stage? I love it. So tell us how you got where you are today. In terms of being a divorce mediator, a divorce coach, and having a podcast, life has a way of moving you in directions that you never even saw for yourself. So you have to start out crafting your own life, right? You have to make some choices and directions you would like to go. For me, it started at age three. I hope people do not think I'm being blasphemous when I say this, but I started early at age three. I thought, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, what's the best job I could possibly have? Well, I actually made a lifestyle choice. I wanted to be God. I grew up Roman Catholic and I thought, well, who doesn't have to eat? Who doesn't have to wear clothes? Who doesn't have to go to work like daddy every day? God. Unfortunately, that job was taken. So um, I had to go on and think of other things. And just to show what kind of unusual child or human I was going to be at age five, I'm in kindergarten. We're getting into the Christmas gift exchange. And I said to my parents, I don't think kindergarten's for me. It's just not challenging enough. The naps, talking about what we did all week. I can't do that. I need to go into my own business and I want to promote shows. So this started my life in entertainment, actually. And my parents just looked at me and said, well, okay. I mean, what are they going to say to a five-year-old who presents an alternative course to them? But, and I did, I started putting shows together in the garage of my house with kids in the neighborhood and my record player. And that started me on my life of entertainment. And then throughout high school, uh, played flute, classical musician, always performed, When I went to college, like when everybody goes to college, you're on a different competitive level. So whatever you thought you were good at, you reevaluate yourself when you go to college. And I did. And I said, well, I was a flute major. And I said to my parents, I don't think flute is going to be my instrument. I think my instrument of choice will be the telephone. I just am not as good as everybody else. So we're going to change courses. And like everybody, I had more than one skill and talent. So I started exploring communications, journalism, English, teaching, philosophy. And my dad sat down with me, I think, at the end of my sophomore year. And he said, look, you know, I went through all of the music stuff with you in high school. And I mean, he drove me everywhere. He was the best dad anybody could have. Um, he said, I kind of need a little career direction from you as you're switching majors and I'm paying for college. I was paying for room and board though. I was a, um, a resident assistant. So I was in charge of a floor of girls. So at least I did that. And I looked at him, this generous, kind man. And I said, I don't know the job or the actual career I'm looking for, but I can tell you this and Cammie, I don't know where this came from, but this is what I want to share with all of the uh, listeners and viewers that you have. 
you have to dig deep when you're thinking of how you want to craft your career or your life. It can't be about money only. And I've learned that lesson way too many times in my life. For me, it has to be a life choice. What's, who is the person I want to be? What is the life like that I want to live? And that's a much bigger idea than choosing a job. So I just said to my dad, I know I want to work with as many cultures of people humanly possible in as many places in the world possible too. And that's all I know. And that was from the heart. That was authentic. And he said, okay. So I finished with six majors, journalism, communications, English, entertainment. I mean, because I did put two years in in music school. And that was that. I think it was probably that was seven, seven years later, seven years later. And I'm a seven year gal. I don't know. Have you ever heard of every seven years we change something? Our biological clock changes. Yes. Well, I am a seven year person when I think back on in all of these major shifts. So seven years after that, I had graduated from college. I had jobs. You know, I worked, but I was reading the newspaper. And that's those were the days, 1980, when real jobs were in the newspaper with real people's names and phone numbers. And they answered and you got to interview with them. It was so simple then. I saw this ad in the Pittsburgh press. I'm from Pittsburgh. Circus, circus. See the country. We're looking for marketing directors who have uh, background in entertainment, communications, journalism, marketing, everything that I took as a major, it all came forward. And that was it. Many cultures of people comprised the circus and we traveled. That's what I said in the end of my sophomore year. And it gives me chills every time I tell the story. That's amazing. Oh, and what did your father say? That's what I'm dying to hear. He said, okay. Oh, good. He, he was okay with it. He was okay with it. You yeah. know, I mean, I was the child that quit kindergarten to start my own show production. What was he going to do with me? <laughs> you know? So he went with it. And I think he wasn't alive when that happened. He passed in 76. But you know, they're still there. You know, we're surrounded. Feel that. So um, I think he's probably quite pleased that it all came to fruition. That is amazing. So take us over the bridge now. So you okay. were, tell us a little bit, we have, you have to entertain us with a little bit about the circus, but tell us, we'll do that after. Tell us how you ended up literally to hear and getting okay. to this. Yes. Well, well, fast tracking then. So I was always in entertainment after the circus. I worked for the Sarasota Opera Association in Sarasota, Florida as their marketing director. I then went to the Chicago Lyric Opera when artist Kranich and anybody who knows opera, she's like the biggest director ever other than Leonard Bernstein with the Philharmonic. But uh, and, oh, I forget the lady who ran the New York Opera. She was amazingly famous. Anyway, artist was up there. So I was there the year Pavarotti quit for the second time. Oh Pavarotti, gosh. I was selling um, group sale tickets in the marketing department. And for the second season, Pavarotti quit on Artist Crane. You don't do that. And she said, I'm sorry, you'll never work here again. You're, you're, I mean, this was amazing behind the scenes. Anyway, then... 
I was married to the band leader of the circus. We were living in Chicago when I worked for Artist Kranich, and he took off with another circus. Marriage wasn't doing well. And so I thought, okay, breath of fresh air. It's okay. Let him do that. I was working for a woman, marketing her on national TV, Oprah, CNN, getting her national interviews for a book that she wrote. She was a personnel recruiter equal to the challenge. She almost died because she couldn't live under the stress of all the national publicity. And she said, I'm going to pay you until you find another job because you did everything right for me. I just can't handle it. I am not equal to the challenge of everything you're doing for me. And I asked for it. Okay, that's fine. So I came out, I joined my brother. I moved out to Beverly Hills. That is movie stars, swimming pools. And I worked with my brother and his company producing live entertainment for private events, huge business in Los Angeles, just huge. We did very well. Then I took off on my own. Why? to have a company of all different cultural music. We're back to lots of different cultures. I need cultural influences in my life. It's very important to me that I know how other people live, how other people think. It enriches me. That's going great. I moved to Palm Springs because you could buy better real estate there than you could in Los Angeles. And I wanted to live in a big house. And so they were very inexpensive in Palm Springs. I moved there, thought I could operate my own uh, business, um, producing entertainment for events, not in Palm Springs. It was a tourist community back then. Seven years, I'm in Palm Springs. We get the seven year thing again. And even though... I, I couldn't really develop the business that I had in Los Angeles and Palm Springs. I did write my book there. And my book is titled, My Office is a Three-Ring Circus. Must I Take Orders from Clowns? And it's a book about business communication. It's about, you know, how you speak in, 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 um, in, in your business environment, how you behave in your business environment. And then if that's not working, how you reinvent yourself to be in another business environment. And I wrote that in 2005. I became president of the Palm Springs Writers Guild. That was fun. But at that time, this is how life takes over when you never expect it. Two different female attorneys came to me and said, you know, you have a really interesting personality for mediation. You should consider doing it. Okay, I had no idea what mediation was. I'm in entertainment. I've never done anything but entertainment and live media. So thank you so much, but I'll just, I'll, I'll go, I'll speak on the book and I'll develop maybe a public speaking career and I'll still book entertainment. It was the third person who said it to me. I was transitioning back to Los Angeles because I knew I had to get back to real life to earn a real living again that I considered Palm Springs semi-retirement. And it was fun for a while, but it wasn't lucrative. So I'm back to LA where it is lucrative. And I'm sitting in the nail salon where all amazing conversations happen between people. And I'm sitting next to the woman who used to own the business that I have, Divorce Resource Inc. And we're talking away. And she said, you know, you have a very interesting personality for mediation. You should consider it. I said, okay, doink, knock on the head. Tell me what it's about. I'm not going to get away from it. The universe has a plan. 
And she told me where I should get training. I started that. That was back in 2009. I'm now back in Los Angeles and getting mediation training, still having some clients for entertainment. So, you know, providing for myself. And she got sick. Oh, this woman, I became friends with her. I took an office in her suite and I just watched everything that was going on as I'm booking entertainment, doing mediation um, for the uh, bar association, actually. And I'm watching her divorce business happen. And then she gets sick in September of 2012. And we thought she was going to come back. Um, I got along with her assistant really well. In fact, I knew her mother. And so we had this fabulous connection. And I said, well, while you're out, teach me, give me a crash course in family law and I'll meet with your clients and your assistant knows how to do all the court forms and we'll keep it together for you. And we organized a little pay package for me and her and, and we kept it afloat, but she was never able to come back. It, she was so I bought the business from her in 20, the end of 2013, and did that. Learned it. It's a very difficult business, Cami. I cannot tell you it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I can't. And imagine. here's why: Is it worse? It's crazier than the circus, isn't it? The circus was easy. The circus yeah. was fun. The circus was my heart. Yeah. But when I say life moves you forward, you don't really know what the ultimate end is. You just know what the next step is because that's all you can see is really the next step. Obviously, the next step was mediation for me. And family law presented an opportunity because I'm sitting right there in her suite. She has to leave. Somebody has to take over. It was me. Here I am today. But divorce, this business is hard. I'll, I'll, I'll share with your audience what the hardest part is and why. Because I have an unusual business. It's not just mediation. Mediation's the easiest part of it. Even watching people argue, I can deal with that. I'm really good in uh, volatile situations. The hardest part is, unlike attorneys who just represent one person, I work with both spouses who want to be amicable and I do all their filing and write their settlement agreement. That's a very unusual position to be in because most people have a very difficult time being amicable. And we'll talk later on about what does it take to really have an amicable divorce? And, and it takes certain things. And that's what I try and do in my podcast is teach people how to have an amicable divorce. So it's, I, I call it my circus act is walking on emotional landmines and putting my head in the lion's mouth once in a while when I'm dealing with people who are just not having a good time. Will you tell him or her that they need to, no, that's not my role. I'm here to do your filing. We can meet in mediation and you can tell him or her and I'll preside over it and keep you safe and make sure the message is contained and moves forward properly that I can do for you. But that's what makes this so challenging and hard. I can say more on the podcast than I actually can sometimes in front of people. And I just found out today that I had somebody come in to sign a judgment package, which is the last thing you file. And he said, Judy, um, if I tell you a story about what's going on, is it going to go on your podcast? Because I listened to it. You didn't know that, did you? Oh my gosh. 
Well, thank you for telling me. He said, I know you tell stories about what happens. I said, but I never tell people's names. And he said, no, no, no. I learned from that. I'm okay with that. And the story I'm going to tell you, I'm actually okay if you want to use it in one of your episodes. It was just, it's, I, I don't know if it's the same thing with you, but we work in this environment of our offices and we produce our podcasts and we know it goes out there but when we get people to say hey I listen to your podcast it's I don't know I guess I'm always a little surprised when I actually meet the people who listen and I hope I'm doing them the best service it's always my goal I love that yeah that's awesome so I married wow. the band leader, by the way, from from the circus. Clark Weigel <laughs> was the band leader, and we got married, and um, and we're still friendly, by the way. Well, that's good. That's amicable, yeah. right? I'm the that poster was, was child. That your first letter, your first lesson in amicable divorce. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The band leader. You know what? Absolutely, because it was interesting. Should I share, you, or is this uh, not the right time? Well. You can share if it's not, if as long as it's not part of your good, bad, and ugly. No, I don't think it was going to be. Okay, then go ahead. Um, and this is something important for people going through divorce. So, you know, when there are things you have to work on in your marriage, you just know. So I knew there were things we had to work on and we hadn't really addressed them. It takes a while, I think, to address issues. You kind of want to just avoid them at first and maybe they'll go away on their own and something will happen to make things fabulous. But that doesn't really happen. You really do have to address your life. We were in Chicago. I was working for this woman being her publicist. And um, he wanted to leave for another circus. So I said, okay, fine. I, I understand that. So he did. I don't even remember the name of the circus. So he, he took off. And then um, I moved out to Los Angeles because the woman I was working for, as I said, called me from her hospital bed in Saudi Arabia, where she was working with some shakes and said, I can't handle the stress of national media. Thank you for being able to fulfill my requirements and my dream, but I can't do it anymore. So I thought, okay, do I stay in Chicago? My brother has a company in Los Angeles. Who doesn't want to move to Hollywood if they're in entertainment? I'll just have another adventure. So I, I moved out to Los Angeles, but I flew back to see Clark um, at some point during that year, 1989, uh, when he had a few days off. And that was the time he told me that he would like to have a divorce. So anybody who's listened to that request knows that you feel like the earth has just opened up and swallowed you. I had to run to the restroom. We were in a restaurant because I didn't want to pass out. I wasn't ready to hear those words. I do not argue with people. If you don't want to be with me, you don't want to be with me. That's fine. But at that point, he was honest and said he was having an affair with Carmen, the baboon trainer. And now I liked Carmen. I met Carmen on the Clyde Beatty circus, and she was a lovely person. And okay, so he couldn't have been with a better person. She was having problems in her marriage. 
the infidelity didn't bother me. That's what I want to talk about for a second, because I've interviewed people. I interviewed a gentleman talking about infidelity, uh, Dr. Aslan. He said it's the the worst, best thing that could happen to you because it makes you pay attention. It makes you address your situation. And it's a symptom. It's not an end in itself. It's a symptom that something's going on that needs to be addressed. And at that juncture, you either decide, do we want to put Humpty Dumpty back together again and see if there's a marriage here that we would like to have? Or do we want to use this to part ways? And he wanted to use it to part ways. So that was it. No way did I blame. No way did I become angry at that. I did not. So my method of healing was much like Forrest Gump in the movie where Tom Hanks, was it because his mother died? There was something that happened in his life and he ran across country. He just started running. So I had a job. I couldn't go across country. But after I I came back from work every day, I just walked and walked and walked in the neighborhood and then went home, went to bed, got up, went to work, walked. Until one day, like Forrest Gump, I just got up and said, okay, I'm done. I'm not sad anymore. And I was happy again. And I resumed life. I had friends and I moved on and and was happy. And so because I've been there, I understand what it feels like. And I probably had one of the worst things told to me that you could. Infidelity is something that is just life-changing for people. It can be the best thing that's ever happened to you. It can help to change your life in the best way possible. So here's what I mean for me. Well, okay, well, um, let me go back to Los Angeles. Let me process all of this. I have to deal with it. I don't talk to people. I don't run on. We didn't have Facebook then. I wouldn't have posted on social media anyway. It's not my style. And I just healed myself in the best way possible. I internalized, I philosophized, I did healthy things like walking. And it's possible, it's just possible to get over one of the worst things that can be told to you and not hate, not want to get back or get even, unnecessary, unnecessary, because that kills you. That eats away at you. It doesn't do anything to the other person long-term, but it ruins your health. And I just didn't want to do, I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be the person that I respected, that, that I could hold my head high, that I could say, okay, well, let me see what I did that in my next relationship, I don't do again. And so I had to identify things about myself. You have to come to a level of self-awareness and that's in anything, whether it's a divorce, a business collapsing, any tragedy in your life, you have to dig deep and say, could I have done anything that would have changed this, that would have prevented this? Maybe, maybe not. Well, here it is. Now, how do I deal with it? How do I take this and, you know, turn lemons into lemon cake? Right. <laughs> Something it's, sweet it's self-coaching, right? It's self-coaching. Like, what could I do better? Is there anything I could do better? So you go through that. 
Wow, what a story. So, and your ex was with the baboon lady. That's crazy. I just... He didn't end up marrying her, by the way. Did he remarry? Did he ever remarry? Yeah, he definitely remarried, had children. And this is definitely something that we were not on the same page about. I thought I could be, but I couldn't. It's just not who I was. I didn't want to be a mom. I'm a great aunt. I have always have pets and animals. So, you know, I try and give back to life that way, but not everybody's cut out to be a parent. And Cammy, honestly, a lot of the people who come in my office, they should have never had had kids. They should have never been parents, or at least one of them shouldn't have been. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, but you don't know that, I guess, until you're there. And that's what life is about. Yeah. Well, life calls it out for you, right? Like these are what's, this is what's expected. So, you know, you grow up, you get married, you have kids, you know, that's just, you know, that is, they call it out that way. So it's almost like you're the rebel if you don't go that way. And, and I agree with you. There's so many people that should not have children. Well, let's move on to this career reinvention. So we know Mm -hmm. it was inspired, uh, you know, by your journey and what you went through, but let's talk a little bit about that, your goals, following your heart. Like these are all really important. And I love the one about framing your skills and talents for your age. So that's so different. Let's start start with that. Yeah, let's start start with that. that Because in this day and age, people are working longer, right? And with all the financial setbacks we've had, if it's not the pandemic, it was the recession of 08. I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another. And social media industry changes, therefore your job becomes extinct, even though you may love your job and your company. So people have to reinvent themselves more than they think and later in life than they think. And I think one of the most important things when you're looking to reinvent yourself is you really do have to look at your age and you have to look at things that are right for your age. So for instance, um, when I first started in this, this business, I had, my assistant was 27 years old, although she really was 57 intellectually. This girl was so mature, I can't tell you, but no one was going to hire her, even if she wanted to be a mediator, to mediate a divorce at 27 years of age. I mean, she looked young, she sounded young, but she was intellectually brilliant. So as a mediator, people want age. You know, you don't age out as a mediator unless you start getting dementia, then you age out of everything. But until that happens, that's like an interesting profession. Coaching is is a good profession um, for somebody who's older because you will trust people who are older, who have been there, done that. So when you're looking to reinvent yourself, really look at something more age appropriate. It doesn't matter that you might be working for millennials or people younger than you. I love a good millennial. I'm serious. In fact, I have like to have millennials on speed dial. So there's that, but there is this phrase I used work style, your goals. Well, here's what I mean. It's what I did in college. You may not be able to specifically immediately identify the job. You may have to create the job. 
people do create jobs for themselves. You know, who thought who, who was the first coach? I don't know, but somebody had to think that that was a valuable thing to do. And then we have coaches. But I think you have to dig deep and you have to look at how you want to live and the person you want to be. How do you want to function in society? So for me, I wanted to work with as many cultures of people humanly possible in, and in as many places in the world possible. Okay, that meant travel and that meant travel outside of my immediate area. And that's different for everybody. And you, that really requires that you get in touch with yourself. I know the first thing is to go for money. What do I need to live on? How much money do I need? But I really truly believe that if you are in your right space, if you are using your skills and talents properly, the money really will come. I, I mean, you have to 100%. do this every day, right? Yeah. You agree, Cammie? I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's where your passion is, right? It's yeah. when you're passionate about something that gets you out of bed in the morning, right? That gets yes. you on your feet. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and when you do the things that bring you joy, the money just follows, but you're right. Too many people lead with money and then they they live this unfulfilled life. I mean, let's just get real. If money made you happy, then all of these people with this ridiculous amount of money would not be miserable and getting divorced right now. I mean, I think we've proven that, right? As an amicable divorce specialist, you know, yes. if money made you happy, then if you have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, you wouldn't be unhappy. Uh, it's just interesting to me. But yet people still do lead by the income. And that is not what it's about. It, it is not what it's about. And I've made that mistake, by the way, along the way. I have intermittently. I've taken something for just the money because I needed to. And it was very short lived. You know, this this can't work because everything has to gel. You know, it, it's it's it, the hours, the environment, the people, what you're asked to do. It just has to be a natural expression of who you are. And you can take Simple things that give you joy and turn them into income earning. Now that we have social media, you can earn a living on YouTube. You can do these podcasts. Okay, so there's this woman. I don't remember her name, but I think she's one of many people that fits into this group of people who eat on YouTube. Have you ever heard of that? I know this is so bizarre. No. So I was just reading YouTube sensations and there was this woman who had a job that she wasn't really thrilled with her job. And just as an outlet, a funny outlet, she said, let me just have dinner on YouTube every night. She just started eating dinner and talking about what she was eating. She's a multimillionaire today. Her husband quit his job to buy professional equipment and film her talking about the food she was eating because there is this cult of people in the world. Now we're talking international because it's YouTube um, that enjoys anything about food. I mean, who, who would, who would think about this, right? So you Amazing. can create your own job just with things you would never think. Well, I mean, okay, so look, people enter con eating contests. <laughs> oh my God. 
the training for that. Can you imagine the training to eat as much as you can? Anyway, so yes. So follow your heart. You cannot, you just can't waste your time doing something you don't like. And you may like something initially and it feeds you, I mean, feeds you spiritually, intellectually, soulfully, and makes you some money. But at some point, it has a shelf life to it. Don't drag it out. Move on. Agree. Yeah. Not everything is sustainable. Like you said, you know, you, if you, when you're chasing money, I mean, we all need money. Let's not get that point wrong. Right. But there right. are so many ways to get it that you don't have to do something you hate to earn it and you can do it with more ease and joy. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. Well, Okay. So let's think about this a second. Um, when the pandemic hit the middle of March last year in the United States, Okay, I freaked out like everybody. What are you talking about? We all have to go inside. We can't go to our offices. Are you, how does this work? How does this function? So I did go to work, by the way. I considered myself essential and we're in an office building that we had a lot of therapists and attorneys. And so I I came to work every day. I didn't stay in the house, but a lot of people did. And a lot of people actually changed their lives. And some people considered it a positive and that's really good that they did. But after I had time and okay, so I'm balancing, I'm functioning everybody's business changed. Every lawyer, I mean, nobody had for at least two or three months, the same influx of business we had before because our clients were kind of determining how they were going to be balancing their lives. So they had to do that first and then business started building. But um, I thought about this and I wanted to share this with people. I wish I could roll back the hands of time to March 16th, 2020. I would have started investing in stocks. I have a little bit of skill in doing that. And if I actually pay attention and put the time in it, I have a little method that works. And so I did make a little bit of money a few years ago with my little method. And so I thought, if another pandemic hits and I have to reevaluate what I'm doing, and if it hits my industry, that's an option. You, you can invest at any age, you can read, you can learn, you can make a little money. So there's always something out there to tide you over in the meantime, if you can figure it out. I mean, if you're able to work and figure it out, obviously there's a group of people that are for one reason or another are compromised, but you know, my, my, my comments are to those of us who have the ability to change and take control of our lives. I love it. Oh my gosh. So let's talk about your book real quick. And I want to talk about your podcast because I love what you're doing with that. Okay. So I'm a one hit wonder, one book. (laughs) Maybe I'll write another one. Who knows? So the book is called My Office is a Three Ring Circus. Must I Take Orders from Clowns? And I wrote it in 2005. It is on Amazon. It is me in the bear suit on the cover, by the way. And I think it's a very slimming look, Hammy, if you take a look at it. So everybody go to Amazon. Um, 
the book is a business communication book, essentially. I tell circus stories. So I, I laid it out instead of chapters in three rings, ring one, ring two, ring three. Ring one was how you communicate in business to be your best when you're in challenging situations. And I told stories about situations I was in promoting the circus just so it would be entertaining. The second ring is about behavior. How do you function in business? Again, I told circus stories. Ring three is reinventing yourself. Well, the circus is all about magic. It's all about transforming. And I am the queen of change. I'm the queen of reinvention. It seems to every seven years what I do. Um, And I thought I was pretty good at it. So I gave pointers in how you repurpose your career, yourself and your career. That's amazing. So that's That's the book. And I did it because I did it because I wanted to start a public speaking career. I knew that was in the offing and I didn't know how or when it was going to happen, but you need a book as a credential if you're going to be a public speaker. And I spoke on it, but it's really hard selling a book And anyway, life took over and I came back to L.A. and I started the mediation practice and I kind of let that go by the wayside until now, until now. So with the podcast, this can come back and be somewhat relevant. So I've started talking about it. I have it on my podcast website. I don't. The only thing I didn't do with the book, I I have to be honest, I didn't think about putting pictures in it. And I have a ton of pictures from the circus. So I, I spoke to somebody and I think we're going to do another edition and we're going to put it. pictures. I was going to yeah. say that. You can, al- yeah. you can always do that. You can always do it. Um, and so for corporate audiences, this can be a very valuable tool for me. And that's how we're looking at the book. I think the that's po- amazing. The podcast is interesting how that came about. Um, I had been talking about doing radio And then it became podcasting because it was easier. I had been interviewed by so many people when I was on the road with the circus because I was the only representative in town until the show came into town. And then I had TV and radio and newspaper interviews scheduled with the performers. But we had one performer who came into town ahead of the show for two days, and that was Elmo, the advance clown. He worked in advance of the circus. And so he would do like magic shows and makeup shows, and I would bring him to TV and radio stations. But if there were interview opportunities ahead of that, I would do them. And I really enjoyed them. And I thought, well, maybe someday I could have my own career in in media. And in 2019, an opportunity created, uh, presented itself to me. And, and so I took advantage and started my podcast in March of 2019. And, and here I am today. I started out, I rebranded, I started out as constructive uncoupling and I rebranded this March as the amicable divorce expert. Love it. And you are, you really are. I think I give really good tips and information on how to be amicable. And I think that's the extra added value I give my clients when I can hear in their voices, it's not a good day. Or can I just call and vent for a minute, Judy? Of course you can. And that's when I can jump in and just say, well, let me just put my my little reinvention hat on, my little amicable hat on for you. And you know, I just explained to them 
if I may go into what makes an amicable divorce, I just start talking about, um, first of all, stop blaming your spouse. It, it's, it, it does nobody any good. And don't blame yourself either. We're all human. We all do things we wish we would have done differently. Take a step back. If you have to apologize, apologize. If you feel you did something to create this divorce, but give credit to the universe too. Because the universe, I think, can be smarter than us and know what's better for us. And sometimes we have to walk through fire to get to water and, and, you know, to get to a better side, we have to click. And so just go with that journey if you can. But I think I can do that because I've been there and I know that it's possible not to get upset over adultery. It is what it is. I mean, we can talk all day about the trust was broken and I get it. I get it. And maybe if the idea was to get back together again, Maybe I would have had an issue with it. I don't know. I'm a strange human being. I allow people to be human. And that's being human. What we say in our vows when we get married, well, we mean it then. <laughs> but then life happens, you know, and, and we don't make some good decisions sometimes. And we want to be forgiven. So you just have to evaluate when you're there. And sometimes divorce is the right course of action. It's your fresh start that you need. Absolutely. Communication. Communication is key. You can't be amicable if you can't talk to one another. Mm-hmm. You can't be. It's the way we, it's the words we choose and the tone of voice we use in our communication that will make the situation better, amicable, able to be dealt with. And if you have children, uh, you really, really have to figure out a way to work this out because the kids come first. You have to think about the kids. Um, Good. So, so good. Get educated. Learn the law. Do not fear attorneys. You may not need to hire one full time, but definitely go to one. Be educated about the law. When you go into mediation, and I always say to people, have you gone to attorneys? Do you understand the law? You can put the law aside, but that's called working with informed consent. You can make decisions other than the law, but know what you're doing because I would feel so sorry if you, once the divorce is final, And you now sit calmly and take a look back and wish you had done differently, wish you had made decisions differently, wish you hadn't wanted to be out of pain so quickly that you just said, okay, fine. You know, that's what people have a tendency to do. Okay, you can just have it. I don't care. I just want to be divorced. You're going to care. You really are going, if there's a financial part of this, you are really going to care at some point. So just make sure that those decisions are right. Um, So learn the law, communicate, know that divorce is an issue of compromise. That's the other thing. So you're going to have to give in somewhere along the line. And then so is your spouse. You're not going to get where you need to go. So there's the law and then there's what works for you. We live in a no-fault divorce state, California. 
There are no fault divorce states. And then there are still some states where you have to prove grounds. Horrifying. Horrifying to be in that situation. So even though you may be in a no-fault divorce state, the reason for the divorce is the backdrop through which you're going to make your settlement decisions. You have to settle that. Whatever that issue was, you have to deal with it. So I talk a lot about on the podcast about going through the emotional divorce before you file for the legal divorce. And the emotional divorce is processing. And it's going through all the stages of grief. There are two more stages of grief than there are for death (laughs) because you have to still work with the person. They're alive and they may be a co-parent. So um, uh, I I forget. I wish I I had it ready. But um, one of my episodes is the stages of divorce grief. You have to go through all of that so that when all of these legal things are coming at you, you can focus on that and not the healing. You will be jarred emotionally along the way every now and then, but you have to take care of yourself first emotionally, and then you can jump into the legal process if you have that advantage. But if somebody, if your spouse has already filed for you, has already filed and served you, and it's too soon for you, get a therapist. Get a therapist, get a coach. Because you need somebody to just calm you down, get you to focus. Don't let you take too much on at one time. We can only do so much. And you have to know where your tipping point is. And when you have to say, I need to take a breath. Just, I'll be right back. I'll be back to the process. Give me a week, give me a couple of weeks, whatever you need. And then know that divorce is a new beginning and be ready to receive that gift of a new beginning. So what comes out of something difficult is something beautiful. You can make something wonderful out of it. And that's a new life for yourself and you deserve it. You should have it. And those are my tips for an amicable divorce. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's so powerful. Uh, Oh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know that this pandemic has uh, created even more divorce, uh, you know, with people being home and being working from home and this just the stress and the money and all the things. And I really appreciate you sharing this because I'm sure there are many that are listening that are really suffering. So let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. You can find me two ways. If you want to listen to the podcast and you want to participate, give me topics. I have a website called theamicabledivorceexpert.com, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And I have lots of blog posts on there too and resources um, for you, books that you can read that'll be very helpful. If you're in the state of, well, actually, I'm now, you you can be trans, you can be trans working. Um, So for coaching, you can live anywhere. I have somebody I'm coaching in Georgia right now. So uh, you can reach me through divorceresourceinc.com, divorceresourceinc.com. If you live in the state of California, especially Southern California, I can actually file for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that and for all the information. And 
If you're listening right now, just hit the show notes, click the link to the show notes, and it will take you to all of the links where you can find Judith with her podcast, her coaching, and all the things that she's doing. And um, it's right there for you. So awesome. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. Well, this has been so great. You know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs and they are going to share their expert zone of genius. And you have done that so great just now, uh, just really walking people through the process. But like the emotional process um, is so much more important, I think, than the other because there's so much damage that can be done or damage that could be avoided. And so, you know, the law the law, but the damage is the thing that I think is detrimental. And so you can always make more money. You can always make more financial moves. You can move things around, but the the emotional part of it, I think is so difficult. Um, And so thank you for that. But we also promise our listeners that we're going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see these people in the world, especially women, right? Who are listening They are constantly comparing themselves to other people and they're always coming up short and they think they can't do it. And they look at you and you're smart and you have wisdom and degrees and resilience and you're invincible and they think they can't be like you, but they have no idea what what you were like when you started this journey and they have no idea what you had to overcome. So we're gonna go right now And we're going to shift and we're going to tell them some stories. So we're going to pull back the curtain and we're going to start with the good. Could you share a story with us about the good part of your journey? Well, the good part of the journey is the story I told originally, because I'm still amazed at it, Cammie. I really am amazed because I really don't know where it came from, just my inner soul. And that's when my dad said, "Okay, so you're not going to be a musician you have any indication what you're going to do? And I gave him, I want to work with as many cultures as humanly possible in as many cities and, and places in the world humanly possible too. And the circus came about seven years after that. And that was the love of my life job. Everything about it worked for me. Traveling, the lifestyle, living in hotels, never had to do the laundry ate in restaurants every day. This is simply what I like. And learning different cultures, the way people lived and watching all these different cultures come together to put a show on. Now, we're living in a culturally diverse world now, right? Not only do we live in a multicultural country, people are fighting about it, unfortunately. We're on social media, so we're connected to people around the world. And 
that was my dream. I love being connected with different people I can learn from. The bad. I cannot tell you the opportunities that I blew because I wasn't ready. A lot of opportunities came about and I can beat myself up any day of the year thinking about those opportunities. Um, I'll give you, if do you want me to share one? I was going to say like, one, give shoot. us one example. I'll give you the, the most recent one, which was five or six years ago. So through my family, I met a woman who was professional friends with Dr. Lars Schlesinger's producer. And I met this woman at a party at my uh, brother's house and we just clicked and she was in broadcasting and she thought I had a really good personality for broadcasting. This is before podcasting really had its teeth in, in our uh, work environment and all of a sudden, I'm on the phone one day with Dr. Lara's producer and the mutual friend. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to be the one being promoted. I just wasn't ready. And I didn't handle myself as if I was ready. And I put the phone down and I said, well, that was life changing, wasn't it? <laughs> Not. Okay, you got to recover. You got to move on. Maybe you weren't. I don't think I really wasn't ready. And I'll tell you why. My whole life was spent behind the scenes in entertainment, promoting other people. Not that I didn't do my own interviews. I'm a talkative person, but I was still in that headspace of I'm behind the scenes. You're in front of the scenes. And I hadn't made that leap yet. I wasn't ready. I didn't know what I would talk about. I didn't feel like I was an authority on anything. So I emotionally had to make that transition within me in order to push myself forward. Ergo, three years ago, I started the podcast. I knew enough. I felt solid enough. I would never want to be a charlatan. I would never want to go and say, I am an expert at this if I didn't feel it inside. You know that phrase, fake it till you make it? Yeah. I don't want to fake it. No. I want to be there. I want to be authentic. And I want to be able to give you your money's worth if you're going to listen to me. So, okay. But at least it made me reinvent, realize it made me go inward. So I guess now that I'm processing with you, I guess that needed to happen. Yeah. Okay. So here I am on my own. Um, the ugly... That's a tough one. What constitutes the ugly? I think that ugly is anything that would happen to you that would just knock you out. And then, and you really had to work to get back up. Like you could, okay. it could have really knocked you out of your game. Okay. Made you quit, made you give up on your dream. That, okay. that to me is ugly. Okay. I'll tell you. I mean, this is really, really hard for me to talk about because it's it never happened to me before. But I got an unbelievably horrible Yelp review. Like, I never thought anybody would talk about a person like somebody talked about me. And even though I will say, well, okay, I mean, social media is out there. I was getting a lot of fabulous Yelp reviews. And this one Yelp review stopped the phones from working. 
literally, I came off of the best January I had ever had in 2019. And at the beginning of February, this Yelp review, I, I mean, I had the phone stopped ringing and I had so many people check my Yelp stats. So I said, I could crawl under the desk because it's social media. I mean, what are you going to do? Other people have had bad reviews. Other people have had people talk in a disparaging way. But I would never do that about anybody. And I've received services that I didn't like, but I actually thought I did a good service. I think that's the thing that was so shocking to me that I had done what I was um, hired to do, be that Mm -hmm. as it may. I said, well, what am I going to do with this? Am I just going to choose another business, cry? Uh Uh-uh. I think the universe, I go back to this constantly. I think this is the universe saying, get that podcast together. I'm going to put time in your schedule that you didn't have because I didn't have the time. And I said, okay, by March 1st, this was February 1st, I'm going to have my podcast launched. And I did. Business came back, other good reviews came back, you know, so life moved on. But I used that horrible thing to reinvent or to add something on to give myself a voice. And here's the interesting thing about social media and what it can do for you. Unless you have your own voice, that's the end of the road. Whatever somebody wrote about you is it. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Nobody reads your responses on Yelp. You know, it's like, oh, my God, she must be the worst person known to mankind. Okay, fine. Next. So the podcast gave me a voice. So write what you want about me, people. I can't stop you. And people are upset and angry. You know, people hurt people. Lisa Renna, oh, my God. Now I'm going to divulge something. So I watched the the Real Housewives series on Bravo. It's my guilty pleasure. And I live in L.A. We have the Beverly Hills Housewives. How can I not watch the Beverly Hills Housewives? So Lisa Renna, right, on the show, she's a little gossipy. And she had a line a couple episodes ago. And she said, hurt people hurt people. And so she was apologizing for herself. She was hurt and she made disparaging remarks about some other cast member and they weren't really true. So I thought, oh, my God, that's right. That's where these bad reviews for anybody come from. Nobody's as horrible as they are written about. Hurt people hurt people. And I said, I I think I can use this in my podcast um, just for husbands and wives or spouses and spouses to understand hurt people hurt people. And um, I'm having the best time ever with my podcast. I forgive anybody who says anything disparaging about me. Do what you need to do, but I'm giving myself a voice now. So anybody that may read a bad review, just listen to my podcast. This is who I am. This is what I do for a living. And I would love to help you. And so I think I balanced that ugly that way by giving myself the voice that I wasn't ready to have when Dr. Laura's producer called me and was about to give me an opportunity. I found my voice. That's amazing. 
Well, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and your fun stories and your wisdom. And of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly is not easy to share. And But you know what? People need to hear that. They need to know and they need to expect that it's not easy, but it's worth it right? It's worth it. We would, we would never trade those experiences. They molded us, they made us stronger and they made, they took us to where we are today and prepared us for that place. So mm-hmm. I just want to say thank you so much for being willing to share all of that. And I just would love before we say goodbye to have you finish this one sentence for me. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. So my sentence for you is the world would be a better place If more people knew blank. How to listen and appreciate differences in each other. I love it. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you are face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl, get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.